listeners, and welcome aboard Costume Station Zero. I'm Bob Mitch, and I'm here with the third part of my chat with Steve Ricks, talking about the doctor's attire and tailoring technique. Be here next time for our next interview with Nicole Carlson. We're going to talk femme crossplay and the fifth doctor, as this is all part of our countdown to Gallifrey One. Zooming quick here Friday through Sunday, February 15th through the 17th at the LAX Marriott. Hope you can all join us there. You can definitely uh, catch me running around in Tom Baker, Colin Baker, or Zygon attire. Uh, I'll be hosting a couple of cosplay panels on Cosplay 101 and Costuming as the Doctor, as well as Steve Ricks. Steve will be having his own panel, uh, The Infamous Quest, which will be discussing more about his tailoring and uh, especially his Colin Baker coat project. So hope you'll all be there to check that out. June Hudson will be a very special guest and will be having a costumer's reception, which should be a lot of fun. Uh, other than that, um, anyone who will be there Saturday night after the masquerade, uh, please check out our comedy show, The Idiot's Lantern. Uh, more sketches like what we've uh, had previously in the masquerade, like The Companion Game and The Brigadier Unsung Hero. Uh, time approximate after the masquerade, Program D, around 11.30. Hope you'll be there. And um, I guess that's about it. With all that said, stick around. And here we go. <laughs> So tell me what you're working on right now. What am I working on right now? Um, the main thing I'm working on at the moment is um, my replica of the six frock coat, the Colin Baker coat. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, that's been something that's been bubbling under for a couple of years now, to be honest. Because oh, yeah. um, I, I, I hooked up with um, a couple of guys called uh, John Walker and Chris Pocock. Which yes. I gather you 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 had on your podcast not that long ago. Indeed, um, yeah, because those guys have been really sort of avid collectors of original costumes for quite a few years now. Um, and I'd made um, Chris a pair of trousers, and he just dropped casually into like an email. Oh, by the way, I own loads of original costumes, and it was one of those things where I thought, is this guy just trying to show off, or is he is he for real? And I thought, mm-hmm. I hope he's for real. Anyway, so carried on chatting, and he ended up. Sure enough, he was for real. So he had all these. These guys got these all these original costumes, and they had. Um, the main thing they had was Colin Baker's complete original costume, mm-hmm. and um, they came round and uh, bought the costume with with them. And it was just the most amazing thing to see. Um, after all those years, thinking back, you know that I had made my own copy of that coat back in 1984 um, and then suddenly in front of me was the original coat that I'd copied mm-hmm. um, and I put the two together I actually had st- still got my original coat and I put the two next to each other and 
course, they're, they're not, they're no, it's nowhere near correct. I mean, there's loads of things not right with it. But it was so funny to, after all those years, have, have, made, have having, had that coat sit in the back of my wardrobe, and now here it is sitting next to the original coat. It was just the most awesome moment. Full circle. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. To just to see the 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 two of them together, I thought, wow, this is this is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they said, oh, would you, do you want to sort of try it on? And I was like, oh, I can wear it. Mm-hmm. I said, like, wow. So I put the coat on, and it feels so amazing on. It's just the most un- incredible coat to wear. Um, and at that stage, I mean, I was quite early on in my tailoring career, and I looked at it, and I was just completely in awe of it because when it's only when you see the coat up close um for real you realize how incredibly well made it is mm-hmm. it is the most stunning piece of work um the way the thing hangs the way the thing's put together um the fabrics that are used are just out of this world um and somehow some of it just doesn't quite come across on screen when you see the thing on tv I think maybe because there's so much colour in there, it all just gets all wrapped up into one mm-hmm. big sort of huge sort of technicolour rainbow. But each individual fabric is amazing. And um, quite a few of the fabrics, they're all very different. Although they're different colours, they're also very different types of weaves. There's mm-hmm. Melton's in there, there's woven walls, you know, there's, there's all different types of fabrics in there. So I was quite dazzled by it the first time I saw it. So it, it was quite difficult to sort of work out what I wanted to do but I, I thought at that time it'd be really cool to, to, to make a re- have a really good go at making a copy of this coat um, as you say come full circle uh, but it was only really the second time that I saw it that um, that I took a pattern trace from it because I, at that point I was starting to get a little bit more um, proficient at being able to take tracings from garments and actually turn them into a workable pattern mm-hmm. so I traced the coat off um, and I made a calico test, and I was quite surprised as to how well the pattern came together. It really did um, match up, and it did work. Uh, and I think I was a bit, again, a bit nervous about how to actually put this thing together. So I made a version of it all in one solid colour, just completely ignore the different fabrics that are being used let's just have a go at making the coat um and seeing how well it can come together mm-hmm. so using it as like a college project um one term i put uh we, we, we took the, the the pattern block that i created the calico that i'd done and then put into it a lot of the um the modern the the, the tailoring techniques that i'm using now um with the direction of my tutor to say how 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 would how would you do this how would you make this lapel work and she showed me how to do it and then it was quite funny because when I finished that um, and I posted that in my blog it's like a purple version I put uh, oh yeah uh, I put like a sort of a matching velvet uh, uh, lapels on it which came out quite nice that was that was fun doing a bit of work with uh, velvet for the very very first time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that 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 came together really well, and I was really happy with how that how that how that how that worked. Um, and then I, I did get to see the coat again, and it's only when I went back to see the coat for the third time that I looked at it, and I could start to see on the coat the tailoring, the actual um, stitches of hand stitching and tailoring that had been done. 
to make those lapels drape correctly the way they do. And I realized that my tutor had been very clever in the way she'd guided me because we'd basically done it exactly the right way. Um, that you can now, I can now look at a garment and think, well, that's how that would be tailored. That's how you would do that to make those lapels hang in that way, to fold in that way, um, to sit in that particular way. So it was quite reassuring to then go back and look at the coat and realize that what I'd done tailoring-wise was perfectly correct. Hmm. Um, so that was quite satisfying. And I've now spent literally the last two years slowly working my way through the list because I think everyone's seen my um, my breakdown where I worked out that there was 14 fabrics <laughs> right. needed to make this coat. And I've gone right down to, uh, I've counted the the trim that goes around the pocket flaps. I'll count that as a fabric because if I don't, I'll forget about it. Mm-hmm. So there's 14 different fabrics um, that you need to be able to assemble to make it. And the worst one really has been the lining. Um, that was the most incredible fabric. Um, it's the only way to describe it. It's mm-hmm. It's got sort of horizontal finettes of orange... Um, magenta, red, going bands of colour going horizontally, and then on top of it, there's this sort of bizarre sort of bark effect, almost like flames, like a design in two different colours, huh. in like a black and a grey, and that's superimposed on the top, and then that's all woven through. Uh, but it's the most incredible fabric, um, and I thought, well, I don't know how we're going to have sort of tackle this I, I spoke to a lining company that I use mm-hmm. and they were quite flummoxed by it and they said well you're, you're, you're better off getting that printed and I thought well there's no way I'm going to do that because this this fabric was woven mm-hmm. in the 1980s so we're here we are now we're in the 21st century what, what, why can't we weave this fabric again you know we should be able to do this so I, I spoke to the lining company that I that I used to do the tenant coats lining. Mm-hmm. They after we'd done the self stripe lining, they said, "Oh, you come back to us. You, we, we can do anything you want. You can you you tell us what you need. We can do it." So I showed them that lining. They goes, <laughs> "No, we can't do that." <laughs> oh, great. Um, so it took quite a while to work out how to get that fabric done and I stepped sideways from it again I, I stepped back and looked at it and thought stop thinking of it as a lining stop thinking of it as a fabric you'd use as a lining and I looked at the complexity of the weave and I thought well the only thing that's done with this level of complexity of weave um, and colours is a tie and I thought well let's think of it instead as quite a complex tie and I found a, a weaver in the UK that weaves fabrics for ties. Mm-hmm. And I showed them a photograph of this lining fabric. And I said, um, yeah, I've got this really difficult fabric to do. Um, do, do. Do you think you can help? And I was sending them the photograph. And they just basically came back and said, yeah, how many metres do you want? <laughs> I was like, oh, great. Okay. So what I'd done, I'd scanned the fabric from the coat flatbed so that I could trace into Illustrator that bizarre bark sort of wood effect design. Mm-hmm. I gave them that. I worked out the exact pattern repeat, so I created just the area that was the, the, the pattern repeat, which is approximately eight inches square. It's quite a large pattern repeat. Mm-hmm. Um, handed them that as a digital file, 
and that's what they use to create the what's called jacquarding. It's like a what's called a double pick jacquard, where they pull the the weave of the fabric to to the front to sort of create this pattern. Um, they then also, from their point of view, they created the horizontal finettes of colour, and as a result, I've been able to get that rewoven, um, which has been a real turning point in actually getting this coat done completely um, yeah in the meantime i've got all of the there's six solid um colors on the coat um that are just this sort of wall basic wall fabrics there's like a green there's a red uh there's a peach color uh there's a pink uh there's a purple and there's a uh, a yellow for one of the lapels mm-hmm. so those have all been done now so i've only got all those in hand and um, there's a couple of other fabrics in there which have to be hand-woven. Um, I found a, an old guy in his sort of 70s who um, lives on the Welsh borders, and he's hand-woven me the, the fabric for the collar, um, which he's done a really good job on. It's amazing what he's mm, done with that. Yeah. And he's in the process of um, doing the, the panel on the back. There's like a woven panel on the back. And what he's done, he's actually, rather than trying to source yarns of the right colour, he sourced yarns of the right um, thickness and feel, and he's hand-dyeing all of the yarns to match for me. So he's got about, I think there's about eight or nine colours in there that he's all had to individually hand-dye for this panel. And it's just this one panel on the back that's literally only what, 24 inches by 12 inches or something. Mm-hmm. It's quite a small piece, and there's only one piece of fabric needed on a coat. But he's going to that type of trouble for me to actually get these yarns to match, and he's going to weave it as accurately as we can. Because, again, I've got a flatbed scan of the fabric. Mm-hmm. So he's been able to look at that and work out the exact thread count. Plus, the last thing I've got to do is get the tartan done, which uh, is currently being woven up in Scotland. Wow. So, yeah, so it's coming together. Um, it's been a long process, and I must admit, to a degree, I'm, 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 I'm not upset that it's taken the length that it's taken, because mm-hmm. if I had leapt into this a couple of years ago, um, some of the tailoring techniques that I've got now, I wouldn't have had, and um, it possibly wouldn't have been as good as it's hopefully going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm looking forward to starting to use those new tailoring skills, uh, particularly with the hand stitching for lapels and stuff like that. Um, it's really starting to come together. So it's starting to happen at the right time. Um, but it's, it's going to be fun. It's going to be the most um, exciting project I think I've ever handled. Uh, after, after the tenant suit that I did for Kevin Copeth, I think this is, the, this is the one thing that I've really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of things that, are, that, I've in, that are sort of come across my sort of come across my desk you know things like the uh, Shetland Tweed you know doing the um, the the um, uh, the green greatcoat stuff like that which has been been fun to do but they're, they're projects that uh, have sort of presented themselves to me rather than me presenting to, to them mm-hmm. so I'm really looking forward to getting this frock coat finished and being able to look back and have the coat that I made in 1984 as an 18-year-old kid just cutting out bits of fabric on the floor freehand, you know, from my old blazer <laughs> to 
having a hand-tailored replica of the coat that's been matched down to the colour of the fabric and the exact weave of the yarn. So it's going to be an interesting experience to be able to have that done and have those two next to each other. Um, and it's a day that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, completely. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, if the purple coat's anything to go by, because um, I remember trying that on at Gallifrey, and that's just a beautiful piece and had a great weight and flow to it. Um, yeah. I can only imagine how this final product's going to be, because uh, let's face it, I mean, there's not many options uh, for this coat out there. I mean, we all know how far off the mark the, the China version was. I don't even think that's being offered anymore. And uh, cloth ears, as good as they were a few years ago, um, we've noticed how even that wasn't quite as good as it seemed. Um, and I don't want to knock it. It's a very, very good replica. No, I, I agree. I agree. It's um, it's um, it's it's, 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 a, it's a fantastic coat. I mean, anyone who wants to take on matching 14 fabrics like that um is 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 certainly worth a pat on the back because it's not the easiest thing to do uh-huh. um and it's really not the easiest coat to make uh it it's one of these things where i think people either love it or hate it i know a lot of people hate the costume that colin baker wore mm-hmm. um because it was just such an explosion of color it just made you sick looking at it mm-hmm. but the way that coat is made, the, the, the tailoring in it is just incredible. The, 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 the tailor that made it, the guy that actually was the one who sewed that, sewed that coat, um, he actually went on to, to, to write textbooks about tailoring. There hmm. are books out there which, um, which he actually wrote, or a couple of which I've got, and they're, they're about um, period tailoring. They're about doing um, sort, of, uh, sort of 16th century costumes, um, doing real sort of real period sort of replica costume work so it's quite interesting reading his book because there's a lot of frock coats in that book but a lot of them obviously are very old very sort of um uh no no not not really the edwardian type but it's quite interesting seeing his book and seeing how he's drawn out his patterns for for those coats and thinking that this is the guy the guy that's written this book that's in front of you this is the guy that's actually made that that that's um that uh, coat for colin baker hmm. uh, so it's quite interesting reading Quite interesting reading. Yeah, yeah. It it sounds like this costume um, is much more impressive in real life than it ever came across on screen. Oh, absolutely. I, honestly, I, I when I when I saw it for the first time, I, I literally my my jaw dropped. It was to see how it's actually made, to see how that coat is so perfectly put together is absolutely stunning it really is the most incredible garment but but you can see that um i mean he wore three coats during his run Mm -hmm. they made one coat um because they made one story on its own at the end of uh season 22 um where uh, the twin uh, dilemma season 21 season 21 sorry yeah season 21 when he when he had uh and they needed to make the coat for the twin uh dilemma mm-hmm. um and then when they came back the following season they'd made a second coat so that he had a standby one and you can very subtly see the difference between the coats on the collar on the points of the collar um the the the, the checks of the, the the pattern of the checks doesn't fall exactly the same way mm-hmm. so you can see the difference i know that chris and john were talking about that um but then when they came back um after the hiatus and they did um 
uh, Trial of a Time Lord, mm-hmm. they uh, uh, Colin had sort of filled out a bit, and they did make him a coat that was a lot larger. And that coat isn't as made isn't made as well. Um, I think it's made by a different tailor. Um, I don't think it's made quite as well as it was the first two times around. Um, and I think it does show. It doesn't quite hang as well uh, as those first two. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one that I've seen is is is, is one of the original two. Um, but yes, it is the most incredible coat. So um, I'm hoping to have it all done in time for Gallifrey in February. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm hoping that so uh, people will get to see um, sort of get some idea of what that original coat is like to get a feel of sort of uh, how how sort of well it was made mm-hmm. and and uh, how well it was tailored. Well, completely, yeah, and and I I can tell even looking at the old episodes from season twenty one and twenty two just how it fits him, um, and of course he was a little more svelte then, but yeah, no, you can see how fitted it is. And um, what's the other thing I was thinking about? Oh, when I wore that costume at uh, Time Quest, uh, I know it was just the Clothiers version, but it was still uh, you know a very high end, as high end as you could go then anyway. And uh, I remember just feeling like this costume is actually pretty cool. Like once I had it on and I got to just kind of like, you know, embody the, the sixth doctor and go, this is pretty, pretty awesome. It made me completely rethink the character and what he was doing and the choices he made because that yeah. costume really guides it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's one of those times. Yeah. Where you, you, you do put a costume on, you do suddenly sort of, you feel different, don't you? Mm-hmm. It's, um, it sort of gives you like a bizarre sort of difference sort of confidence feeling you, you sort of feel a bit more sort of sort of uh, in, uh, embodied as the character because mm. um, I know there's certain actors out there that say oh I, I can't create a character for screen unless I find the shoes that the person's going to wear mm-hmm. um, and once once they find the shoes the sort of character follows from that but sometimes when you put garments on like that you, you do feel different you, you you put on a tenant coat it sort of swishes around you and you sort of feel a little bit more sort of sort of swept up in the character almost mm-hmm. um, and that and that coat the Colin Baker coat is certainly one of them it's only one of those coats when you put it on it fits and it feels good it feels good on you mm-hmm Absolutely, yeah. No, yeah. There, I mean, I think every doctor costume has its own effect, but I really felt it with that one completely. Um, and yeah, it's it's from the fit to the to the look, and anytime I pass myself in a mirror, I'd be like, "Whoa!" And then I'd be like, "Hey, <laughs> <laughs> smoking." Pretty much, yeah. I'm like, "How right?" You know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but that's awesome. Cannot wait to see it, of course, and uh, I'm sure it'll be fabulous. Uh, so, you know, it, it seems to me that, you know, a lot of people I talk to when I say, hey, you know, how has cosplay affected your life? You know, it seems like it has generally a, a social effect, but in your case, it's not just social. I mean, yes, you've met a lot of people in the, in the forums and pressing the flesh at uh, conventions and so forth, but this has had a professional impact on you, like much more so than I think almost anybody I know. Yes. Um, it, again, I, as I said right at the beginning, it really was not planned. Mm-hmm. Um, this was not something that I really wanted to get into to the level that I have. Um, but it's something that I've sort of slipped into in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it certainly, um, it certainly feels comfortable. It certainly feels like that Colin Baker coat is already on me. Mm-hmm. It feels like something that does fit. It does sit nicely with me. Um, I do enjoy making all this stuff um i do enjoy looking at a comic i can't watch television now um 
and not look at a costume and think, oh, yep. that's interesting. It's got like an extra seam at the back there, which I wouldn't yep. expect on a, on a coat like that. Um, you know, I, I went to you know went to see the last Harry Potter film, mm-hmm. and the whole time I'm like looking at um, looking at Voldemort's costume. Thinking, oh, I wonder, I wonder how they've cut that. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, I, there's sort of lots of things like that the, the whole time. And um, Kevin Coper came over early this year, and uh, we went to see the. Um, the Harry Potter experience at Leeds and Studios, mm-hmm. and they've got costumes on display there. And they had one costume that was like it was a frock coat, and it was made up so that half the coat was made up, and the other half bits were missing, so you could see the inside of it of how it was all hand stitched. And I'm looking at this thing, and I'm thinking, oh yes, you can see all the pad stitching there. You can see the you can see the the, the taped roll line. I think, so, Steve, wait, wake up! You're you're trying to have fun here. <laughs> I just can't do that anymore. I I just look at a costume. And I'm thinking about um, how much interface I'd put in that if I was to make it myself. Mm-hmm. That it's that it's bizarre. It, it it does it does slightly skew the way you look at um, things from now on. Um, and it's quite funny. To you, I now look back on stuff that um, I used to watch in you know the older episodes of Doctor Who, and I'm looking at stuff and I'm thinking, oh yeah, I'm thinking that 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 that, that, that could be quite an easy costume to make. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just it's just uh, difficult to sort of switch off from that, which I, is interesting. I completely agree. I, every time I'm watching Doctor Who now, it's I can still enjoy the story on a level, but there's always a part of my brain that's analyzing, especially the Doctor's costumes, but even an interesting companion or villain costume, and yeah. probably not to the level you're going to. But I'm always going, "Ooh, I didn't I didn't spot that there's a third button there or something like that." Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or any vintage program, actually. I'm watching old episodes of, you know, like uh, uh, I Spy or The Saint or something, and I'm noting interesting stuff about Roger Moore's coats and stuff, and I'm like, oh, wow, look at that. And stuff I never would have noticed when I watched this stuff 20 years ago, you know. Yeah, absolutely. But pr- pretty neat um, stuff. And it's funny how, um, as time progresses, you pick up um, new suppliers and new places to get fabrics and buttons and all that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. and sometimes you you work on something like when i was trying to find a new fabric for the tenant coat and i found a really good supplier of moleskins Uh, but i didn't buy anything from them at that time Mm -hmm. because i realized it wasn't the fabric that i needed Mm -hmm. but the swatch card went down in in my little box that i keep all my swatch cards in and then along comes the green great coat and i'm thinking "Mm, you know moleskin and i've i've already got the um, the supplier lined up that I'm going to use for that. So um, the whole time, there's the you, you start to build up um, a little collection of names and contacts and phone numbers and places to go. Really good suppliers of um, I've got a really good supplier for velvet fabrics where they've got literally I think it's about 55 different colours of velvet, mm. and the velvet comes in three different grades of weight. So I, I don't bother to go to um, a fabric shop now. If I need velvet, I've got this one-stop place I go. I just think, okay, I've got I've got a whole swatch card of all 55 fabrics. I choose the one I want. I choose the weight of, you know, of uh, f- fabric that I want it in, and I just order it. And it's just it's just you start to build up that little sort of black book of all your contacts and all your places where you get stuff. And uh, it just sort of starts to snowball. And... Um, it's quite fun to now have a project come up and you just think, right, I know exactly where to go to get that. Okay, I don't know, I don't know where to get it in that colour, but I've got a man who can dye it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, when I did my 
Tom Baker coat recently, um, uh, I was able to look at the coat that was on display at uh, the exhibition, and I realised that the fabric was um, a Harris tweed. Um, by the weave of it, you could tell it was a Harris tweed fabric. Hmm. So I popped down to W. Bills, um, place I wouldn't have known about if uh, Ewan hadn't found the uh, Shetland tweed. I showed them the photograph that I'd taken, and they, they got out their swatch book, and they said, OK, well, here we are. We don't have the colour you want, but we've got this. There's a lighter version, but we 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 don't have the right colour. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I bought the fabric because I knew it was the right fabric, and I've got my guy up in Yorkshire that who does all my dyeing for me, who's done all the the dyeing of the six solid colours on the Colin Baker coat. Mm-hmm. And I said, look, if I give you this Harris tweed, can you dye it to a different colour for me? Yeah, fine. So he now he, he then dyes. So I get the hand-woven Harris tweed from W. Bills. I send it up to Yorkshire. I get uh, this guy to over-dye it for me, and he sends it back, and it's perfectly the right colour. Wow. So, so it's finding, firstly, the correct weave of the fabric to mm. find the right type of fabric, whether it's a, whether it's a cotton, whether it's a, a wool, whether it's a gabardine, whether it's like a, a Harris tweed-type fabric. As long as you can get like, the right base, mm-hmm. have it in a colour that will take a dye, and then send it to somewhere else who someone who knows how to do the dye, and then someone who does it on a daily basis. So you you, you don't have to worry about it. You you get someone else to be the expert who knows how to dye that, and you end up with the fabric in the, in the, the right texture with the right weave with the right weight that's going to drape correctly. But yes, it's the right color. It's the color you want, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's been quite interesting to sort of take that slight step up, not having to only use the fabrics that you can find in a shop where. It may be the right colour, but it's not the right fabric, or it's the right fabric, but it's not the right colour. Um, that, 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 that was a challenge on the early days. Like, like when, uh, when I was making your five coats. Oh, the beige hunt. The beige, yeah. I mean, now, what I'm, what I'm going to do now is um, uh, this guy, he, he can source me a gabardine fabric. I can provide him with a colour swatch for the beige, and he'll just dye it. Mm. So uh, it's no... It's, so, the problem that we had when we were trying to find that beige, you found some beiges that were really good, but they were like a stretch gabardine. Or they right. had like them, and they would not be the right type of fabric. Or cashmere, yeah, I remember. Yeah, uh, yeah. so they would just not be the right type of fabric to make that coat out of, either to make it on budget or to make it so that it draped correctly. Mm-hmm. But yet that fabric was the right colour, mm-hmm. but you couldn't use it. But then it took a while for you to find the right colour in the right type of fabric. Mm-hmm. So I can, what I've got the luxury of being able to do now is if I can find the right fabric, I can make any colour I want, um, which has been an enormous, an enormous godsend. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, a, co- a question I posed to Kevin Copa, I'll throw it your way because I'm curious. Um you know, when looking at a screen use piece, whether it's through good reference material or it's right in front of you, and you catch what you are certain is a mistake in what they did, do you replicate that mistake or do you fix it? Um, yeah, I remember you asking that question. That's an interesting one. Um, I think to a degree, it depends on what I'm making it for and who I'm making it for. Because there are times when yes i would correct it there's a very good example at the moment because i'm making this this uh, romana outfit Mm -hmm. and the frock coat the original frock coat is really nicely made um it's great fine so i'm making a copy of that 
the trousers she wore were absolute rubbish. Hmm. Um, the insides of them, they had ordered the seam allowances are like uneven. It was really roughly cut. Um, the braces, they're all look nice on the front, on the back. They're all raw edges and you can see the interfacing. And then the, the bottom of the trousers on the ankles, they're not even hemmed. They were hmm. just all gathered together and there was just, it was almost like they were being cut with pinking shears. Mm-hmm. They were just really coarsely cut. There's no finish on the, on the hem because the trousers were, were going to go into the big cuff boots that she right. wore. So what do I do? Do I, do I, I've had the original trousers in front of me. I can make a pattern from those. I've got photographs. I can copy it, you know, down to um, the sort of almost like the last stitch. But do I make it where all the seam allowances are all uneven? Do I make it with the cuffs all looking torn and ragged? Do I make it so that the insides of the braces are all unfinished edges? But what, I don't think so. That's not really what I want to do on this one. So what I've done is I've taken the design um, and I've tried to sort of finish it off. I've tried to make the braces so they are a little bit more finished um i've come up with like a sort of cuff that's going going, going to go around the ankles Mm -hmm. so that it still gathers it together at the ankle but uh, it's got something that's a little bit more finished Mm -hmm. um so i'm just going to make it a little bit more sort of proficiently so that it's a more finished version i'm almost taking it that the version that i've seen is almost like a a dry run it's like a quick one that someone's made up Mm -hmm. um what i'm going to try to do now is make a proper wearable garments that's mm. actually something that someone can actually wear and not look like a um look like a tramp in them in it so it that that's an interesting one so yes i mean that there, there's there's the, these trousers that lala ward wore they are so badly made it's <laughs> they're quite shabby mm-hmm. so yes that is a perfect example yeah so so yeah I, I in that respect yes i would go to the trouble of making it better mm-hmm but then there's other interesting things like the Colin Baker coats, um, the outer pockets, the ones with the big flaps. Right. Um, one of those pockets on the coat that I've seen, the pocket goes almost right down to the hem. Mm-hmm. The, the pocket is about two foot deep. It literally is like 24 inches deep. Hmm. So it was like they made it to possibly so that the doctor could have like um, uh, like a... a he wouldn't carry a gun but could put something like a gun in there or have like some large prop that he could just pull out of his pocket mm-hmm. at some random moment transcendental pockets yeah mm-hmm. but you wouldn't have that pocket on a normal jacket because no. if you put something in it like a set of keys you can't then get your hand down to the bottom of it to be able to to be able to sort of retrieve them mm-hmm. it's a great idea to have really nice deep pockets but if you can't get your fingers and touch the bottom of the pocket it's no use to anyone. So that's an interesting one. I'm, I'm trying to decide whether, do I make that pocket so that it's as it was screen made, that mm-hmm. it is 24 inches deep, so it's mm-hmm. ridiculously long, so no one can actually reach the bottom of it? Or do I make it so that it's only um, sort of eight or nine inches deep, the way you would normally make a, a conventional pocket, so that when you put your hand in it, you can use it? Mm-hmm. So that that's an interesting one. I've still got to decide on what I do with that. So... Yes, there are interesting, sometimes interesting things do get turned up like that. You you do find something that, um, it was made as a costume, it was made in a rush, it was made to be 
seen on screen and just look good. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, yes, they they cut corners, they didn't make it properly, they just they just quickly sort of threw it together. Um, and what you end up with is like this costume that's they made that's there for eternity, where it's got some flaw in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you you do sometimes have to think, hmm, is that is that designed or is that just because it's just it wasn't made as well first time round? And yeah, sometimes we are sometimes we are making costumes better than the costume makers were making them in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, so many of these costumes for for Doctor Who were sort of quite literally just sort of thrown together mm-hmm. um, and very very cheaply made. And they used to use a lot of wall fabrics um, because they had a bit of bulk to them and they didn't reflect studio lights as was too much. And they also under studio lighting they they breathed quite well. So they a lot of these costumes are made out of wool. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see a lot of the sort of uh, extras costumes, whatever that, that sort of come up in auction. They all they all just seem to be made out of wool. Uh, so yeah, so a lot of them are made quite quite sort of cheaply. So now we we may well may decide to make them out of something a little bit more interesting, uh, a bit more um, practical. Uh, and you, you're you're going away from what the original costume was made from, but you're making it better. So it's it's, it's an interesting challenge. Well, I mean, also as you say, uh, in a lot of cases, it's meant to look good on screen for what an episode, ten minutes, maybe less. And a lot of fans making this are made to look good up close. Uh, eight hours a day on a convention floor. I mean, it's two different things. So exactly, you know, in some cases you have to try to make it better just because it has to live up to what people expect. But the thing I think is that if the mistake is something that's, uh, I mean, in the case of a pocket, you can kind of arbitrarily make that choice. But in the case of, say, something that's very visible and it might have contributed to the character of the piece, you almost are forced to replicate it. Oh, yes, Yes, definitely, definitely. If it's if it's um, some quirk about the lapel or some asymmetry on the costume, then yes, I, I think you should, um, because if that's part of the design, that's part of the design, whether um, intended or not. Yes, yes, yes. Whether, whether intended or not. Um, I mean, a, quite a good example of that is the difference between the first Colin Baker coat and the the one from um, Trial of a Time Lord, because if you look at the the way the lapels, where, where the lapels join the collar, the angle of that seam is a lot steeper on the later coat. The earlier coat is a lot more horizontal. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is a mistake. When they made that coat second time around, um, the way the tailor made it, it ended up with that, that seam ended up being a lot more more slanted. Now, what do you do? Um, I'm thinking if I, if I if someone asks me to make a copy of the Colin Baker coat, and he ends up to be someone who's more of say a chest 45, 46, mm-hmm. I need to make a bigger coat. Well, shall I make that bigger coat the way they made the bigger coat for Trial of a Time Lord, and have that lapel angled slightly up? Or if I'm making maybe making a coat for someone who's more of a chest 40, mm-hmm. which is more the size that Colin Baker was at the start, maybe I should make that lapel angle a bit more horizontal do you follow me so the right. the difference in size maybe i should steer that between one and the other because then it's it's then still screen accurate because the size of the coat was different between one season and another mm-hmm. because they made it larger and i can follow that and still make it screen accurate right so it's yeah there's there's interesting little quotes like that hmm 
but it's what the person wants. It's what you know. Someone has a perception of what those lapels should look like, mm-hmm. how that how that should how that should hang. And some people really get quite fixated on how something should appear, and you think, okay, well, then that's that's what I'll have to do. I'll have to follow what what their expectation is. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's 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 it goes a little bit away from what the real thing was like or something. But mm-hmm. you 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 have to do it. Right. Yeah. Again, perception versus practicality. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the great one like that is the tenant suit because everyone was wanting to try to find the, the fabric and try to get the suit made. And people were making it sort of like a pinstripe wool because it's a suit. And mm-hmm. Suits are made of wool. And then we find out it's made of cotton. Mm-hmm. Both versions of the suit were made from cotton. And although, yeah, we can, we can make perfect copies of that fabric now. Um, do you really want a day-to-day suit that's made of cotton? <laughs> it's not going to wear as well, uh-huh. you know. So I, I'd rather have a suit that's made of wool because that's going to that's going to wear better and last longer, mm-hmm. and not get all creased and look and, and look like a rag within um, the first couple of times you wear it. But it's not screen accurate, so isn't that? That's just that, then you just hate it when that happens. You know, you, <laughs> you you want it to be screen accurate, but you want it to be practical, mm-hmm. and you can't have both you sometimes you really you've got to come down on the fence one side or the other you've got to okay i'm a screen accurate guy or i'm a practical guy but both are just as valid in my view both um you know if you're if you're out there doing doing your cosplay or you you want you want to wear a suit day to day to to work but you want to be a little bit sort of um a little bit sort of uh, subversive and sort of dress like david tennant you know go for it but you're probably going to want to get a wool suit rather than a cotton one. Well, it just comes down to what's uh, what's the end use for the costume? Is it something yeah. you really want to wear every day, or will it just be a display piece? You know. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Where can people find you online? Uh, well, I've got a blog which um, I started uh, when I was making one of my one of my talent coats. It wasn't the very first talent coat that I was doing. It was one of the later ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just every time I made a coat, I always thought I really should have taken some photographs of me making it. And then one time I was I was making my the latest version I was doing. I thought, come on, let's actually sit down and take some photographs and show how I've made this thing and give some people some ideas of how they can make their own one. So I created a blog which was uh, talentcoats.blogspot.com, and um, I got quite a lot of interest from that. And it was. Afterwards, when Spinflower sort of came to the fore and uh, I was making myself some uh, Peter Davison trousers, I posted that in there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when, when you asked me to make the, uh, the, the Peter Davison frock coat, I thought, mm-hmm. hold on, this is all getting a little bit mixed up here. So I've spun it out. I've now created like a, a separate blog for each doctor. So I've got, uh, I've got ones for the 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, uh, the 10th and the 11th Doctor mm-hmm. um, and a separate one for the suit and a separate one for the coat for David Tennant oh and the third um, Doctor yeah yes, sorry yes yes absolutely and the third Doctor as well yeah so there's there's quite a few sort of blogs there. and if you're interested in particular Doctors you know you want to know a little bit more about um, the costumes that uh, John Pertwee wore I've done like costume indexes for those because mm-hmm. um, I was interested on that one as to how he went from quite a dull costume it was all stored in black to being quite colorful towards the end of his run mm-hmm. um and i couldn't quite work out in my mind as to when that transition happened how he went from 
quite a dull costume to quite an exciting costume. So I thought, well, <laughs> let's just like quantify, let's just go through it. And I just sort of started to realise how it was that he, he sort of, this sort of, trans- this sort of transition happened. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was just really just to sort of put together a little bit of a resource of all, all things Doctor Costume related. Mm-hmm. Um, if I come across stuff where costumes are being sold at Bonhams or whatever, I quite often go along and I'll take photographs of the costumes and take little detailed pictures, um, post those in the blog as well, and people have picked up on those, which has been quite cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's just really just like a little bit of a resource out there. And people, people, people come to my blog, they use it for reference, they make their own costumes, or they come to my blog and they see that I've made some stuff and see, see, if, see if I'm interested in making them a costume as well. So... It, it it works on quite a few levels um, from the people who just want to just read it as a as a casual thing to read, or if they want to get involved and help me find uh, the the latest trousers that uh, Matt Smith's been wearing. I've had people contact me with information like that. Uh, I have people um, give me links to where they found um, uh, Paul Smith shirts on eBay, stuff like that. So it, it's 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 just quite a good way to just sort of get people. Um, to get them some ideas of where to find their costumes and how to search for them, how to find them, um, how to make them themselves, and maybe if they want to sort of commission me to make something for them. Uh, hey. But it's just, yeah, it's been great. Right, yeah, it gets them to participate, which is the whole point. Yeah, absolutely. It's getting people involved, um, which is, is the main thing. I mean, that, 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 that woman who made the um, tweed jacket for her son, I mm-hmm. mean, she'd been reading my blog for quite a while. Um, and you know, she decided to get a jacket and get some scissors and have a and have a go herself. Um, and I do get quite a few people email me um, pictures and stuff of costumes they've made, uh, which is quite cool. And it's really nice to see that uh, it's inspiring people to pick up uh, some scissors and some some needle and thread and actually have a go at making stuff. And it's all just good fun. Oh yeah, completely. And uh, it's just a fabulous resource, both as you say, for reference and for tips on technique and uh, those fabulous interviews with Louise Page, which uh, I, I went through in a couple of sittings, and they were like pretty eye-opening in some parts, especially the uh, yes, yeah. yeah, she's been she she she's been enormously supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, she, it was amazing having the chance to speak to her um, at, at such depth as well. Um, she's every time she's come to see me she's been enormously well prepared um, we, we, we did a series of interviews where we decided to actually go through every single tie that David Tennant wore mm-hmm. and she had a little story to tell me about each one and she'd made notes of every single one as to what she wanted to tell me and what little interesting little points that she could sort of she could sort of uh, sort of uh, sort of reveal for the first time there was quite a few times that she sort of uh, give me a few little uh, uh, exclusives about the David Tennant costume. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's been really interesting to have her involved. Uh, and she's seen the original um, uh, Ultimate Tenant suit. She got to see that and she was very impressed with how that looked. Uh, and she, she thought it was, uh, she thought it was pretty much spot on to what they had made for the program, which was an enormous relief. That she liked it, and it was enormously flattering to to sort of hear that she sort of thought it was it was sort of up to the mark, which was which was which was brilliant. Mm, totally, yeah. No, it's yeah. She she is so awesome. I mean, uh, when when I met her at Gallifrey, she was so open and giving to the cosplayers. I couldn't believe it. I mean, um, 
I mean, it's just, hey, let's face it, a lot of the people who work in Doctor Who, whenever they, uh, w- at least whenever I've met them usually, have generally been very, very kind and open, which is awesome. Do you have any final thoughts or any other projects you want to talk about? Um, not at the moment. Um, it's just the, the main thing, as, as I've been talking about earlier that I'm working on at the moment, is this Colin Baker coat. Mm-hmm. Um, and if anyone's been following the blog, I've been posting a few little teasers that of stuff that i've been working on but um just to say that uh yeah i've already started cutting cloth on that mm. which has been quite fun um i've realized that there was a section of the coat which uh i'd actually got all the fabrics i needed um to be able to actually make to, to actually start work so after nearly two and a half years or whatever it's been um since i sort of had the idea of actually starting to make this to actually have the cloth on my bench, cut and starting to take shape has been the most incredible, awesome experience. And I'm uh, just really looking forward to getting it done. Just hoping uh, when uh, that I can share it with everyone, everyone can have a look and sort of see what they think. But uh, I'm, yeah, really looking forward to getting that done. Um, but beyond that, yeah, it's just, it just, it's never surprises me as to what's going to come along next because um, there's always something else around the corner that uh, you didn't see coming, um, costume-wise, or uh, something might just sort of literally just sort of come out the blue. So I'm really looking forward to what next year is going to bring. Uh, so let's let's see. Let's, let's, just, let's just see what sort of so let's see what um, treats treats uh, await us. <laughs> let's see what's out there, as the doctor often seems to advocate. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, um, Steve, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being on. Cool. Um, And we will be back next week with more Costume Shop Talk here at Costume Station Zero. 